Devoncast from Radio X. Welcome to the Devoncast, in which we take our regular look at the issues affecting your lives across the county of Devon. We're interested in the politics, the people, and how decisions here affect how we live, work, and enjoy our county. I'm Guy Henderson. And I'm Alison Stevenson. And we've got input this week from Will Goddard as well, uh, who's not with us in the studio, but he sent us some bits and pieces in. Is it too late to wish people a happy new year? No, never too late. Do you think? Okay, and we'll wish people a happy new happy year. Happy new anyway. year, everyone. Yeah. Uh, this is our first uh, first podcast of 2024. Um, so we've got plenty lined up. We've got the latest on the Exeter Low Traffic Neighbourhood Trials, a glimpse into the future of Newton Abbott. You've got news from Plymouth and Tavistock. Oh, yes. So um, new plans for Marda Way have been accepted by the community, pretty much. And uh, the uh, councillors have been scrutinising the plans this week. So talk about that later. And also parking metres are causing quite a storm in Tavistock where they really don't want them. They do. Wherever they go, those parking metres do it, don't they? (laughs) They do. Absolutely. We'll hear our local MPs speaking in Parliament on the continuing saga of Seton Hospital. Uh, And the funding for the Devon Hospices, which do such extraordinary work in our communities. We've got a look at the spectacular event which has brought centuries of the monarchy to life in Exeter Cathedral uh, and is now weaving its magic elsewhere in the country. But uh, as this is the first Devoncast, as we say, of 2024, we thought it might be a good time to to rewind a little bit and explain to uh, people who we are, Ali. Because people won't know us, will they, out there? Nobody really understands who we are, do do they? I'm not sure I do, to be fair. But <laughs> I like to say we're a, a public service news agency. It kind of sounds quite good, I think. It does. Well, I mean, we're we're local democracy reporters. We work for the local democracy reporting service. Um, there are 165 of us across England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, funded by the BBC as part of its uh, charter commitments but employed by regional news organisations such as Radio X. Uh, The the organisations, they range from television and radio stations to websites, regional newspapers. We cover local authorities, top-tier local authorities like Devon, Torbay, Plymouth, second-tier local authorities like Exeter, Southhams, Teambridge, Torridge, North Devon, etc., etc., Uh, and other public service organisations. We find ourselves at the Dartmoor National Park Authority, the Healthcare Trust Boards. The Police and Crime Panel. That's a good one. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. Always good for stories, that one. We always like that one. And there are more than a 1,000 outlets up and down the country that get our stuff, which is why our stories appear in all sorts of unexpected places. Yeah, fantastic. That's, in a nutshell, who we are, just in case Mm. anybody was wondering... To be fair, I was wondering a little bit. <laughs> and when you phone people, they say, what do you do again? Yeah, who, so... exa- who exactly do you work for? Well, it's like <laughs> this. How long have you got? But uh, but there we go. But in a nutshell, our job is to take council business, turn it into interesting and entertaining stories and get it out there for the public. Um, and so to traffic, Ali, traffic. We've got quite a oh, lot of traffic, traffic-related stuff. It seems to be dominating week. today, traffic in no. high streets. Yesterday afternoon, I spent quite a lot of yesterday afternoon in County Hall at Exeter, sitting on a windowsill in County Hall because it was there wasn't much space Mm. in County Hall. The main committee room was full. There was an overflow room with a big screen in it as well for people to go in. Um, It was the active streets traffic trial, the controversial one. It has been reprieved. Its uh, its head was on the chopping block and there were times when it looked absolutely doomed. But the low traffic neighbourhood plan lives to fight another day. 
what happened was uh, a report from officers uh, to the committee said that the trial scheme hasn't been meeting the targets that it was set. Uh, and there was a bit of advice there that maybe the councillors should let their officers decide on the next bit um, as to whether the trial should continue or not. Uh, some eloquent cases made on both sides, uh, people who opposed the scheme calling for it to be called off immediately. Uh, but the majority of councillors on the committee decided that they hadn't seen enough data on it yet, that it should run for a little bit longer, and they definitely didn't want to hand over control to their officers. So that was that's how it kind of played out over quite a long period. Um, afterwards, out on, out in the dark on the steps of County Hall with um, with the TV cameras and the spotlights and everything, they, we were all scrambling around to interview um, the same handful of people, really. Uh, but there were varying opinions on what had gone on. This is uh, this is Edward Pickering of the Exeter Cycling Campaign, uh, who addressed the meeting in favour of the scheme. We asked him afterwards uh, what he thought of the outcome. I was trying to explain to the committee that like, there are people, like, there are lots of us out there who are very concerned about um, the road safety issue, about pollution, about um, the health problems that are caused by sedentary lifestyles. And to explain to the committee that we, we believe that by trying to deprioritise road traffic in for short journeys inside towns and prioritizing active travel we will benefit society it's not difficult because the the facts are very clear that um around the country there have been many low traffic neighborhoods put in and they've all had a positive effect they've reduced traffic obviously inside the area but also there's been a net reduction in traffic and that's what we're aiming for we've got obligations um the county council has got an obligation to hit net zero by 2050 and the country as a whole also. And in order to hit those targets, there has to be a reduction in road traffic with private motor vehicles. And this is a small first step towards that. I was happy with the outcome because it means we get an opportunity to see, see what's gonna happen. The trial continues, we get to tweak, we get to work out what works and what doesn't work. And hopefully we encourage people to get out of their cars where they can, for people who can, onto bikes, walking and wheeling and resulting in less congestion on the roads, less pollution, and a healthier population with less knock-on effect on NHS. So that was Edward Pickering of the Exeter Cycling Campaign. Uh, less happy were Natalie and Kirk, who are two members of a group called Time to Wake Up Devon. Uh, here's Natalie. So we started fighting this um, in December 2022. Okay. My friend got in touch with me and she said, have you seen the Net Zero plan? And I said, no. She said, do I think you want to have a look at some of it? So I had a look at some of it. Some of it I agree with. I think people should be a little bit more active. I think people should be walking a little bit more. Yeah. I agree with that, right? What I don't agree with is UN sustainable goals, right? 17 sustainable goals and targets that they have to meet. Mm -hmm. And they want net zero. What, does, what do you think net zero, zero carbon means? Right. Nothing, no cars. Right. I think if they, if they signed this two years ago, and they knew that it was going to come up and they, it was something they wanted to do, why have they not been putting infrastructure in place of making our, our transport system better, of making things better for people to move around so they're not in their cars so much, so they can get buses, you know what I mean, yeah. to school, affordable buses. Yeah. They can get on a bus, and they, but they didn't. They've just gone slam. This is what we're doing. People are shocked by it. Mm. They can't get to, they get into work late. Carers can't get to their patients because it's not fought through properly and they're not, doing their job they're just forcing through with it they're not listening to people's point of view and that's what where's the democracy got in this country <laughs> democracy in action that was where's the democracy gone but uh, democracy in action warts and all that's what we're here to bring you and we'll stay right on top of all these big devon stories we've got lots to come we will be looking at the crown and coronation 
uh, exhibition in the cathedral. We've got parking meters. We've got Newton Abbott. We've got Seton Hospital. But first, the biggest story maybe in Devon, Armada Way, Ali. Oh, yes, the Armada Way saga. Well, everyone will remember the um, the trees that were felled in the middle of the night last March. Um, well, that could all be a, a distant memory soon because uh, Thumbs Up's been given to an ambitious plan to invigorate Armada Way. Council spent three hours scrutinising... We've had some long meetings this week, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, certainly deliberating the scheme. £37 million there, this one's going to cost. Um, and it's going to include 200 trees this time. Wealth of other spaces for young and old, cyclists, walkers, wildlife, lots of eating spaces, lots of really nice, attractive places for people to eat and to sit. Um, and it follows one of the biggest public consultation exercises the city has ever seen. Um, Plymouth City Council expects the scheme to play a pivotal role in supporting new investment. Council leader Tudor Evans explains why it has to be big, bold and beautiful. I'm just going to say at this point, Tudor's on his phone, isn't he? This is why he sounds the way he does. We had, he's a very busy man. We had to catch him any way we could. Yeah, apologies. Here's Tudor Evans. When we launched this, we said, look, we, we want to really recapture the scale and grandeur of Marda Way. Um, we want to include more trees, more greenery. Um, we want to have a destination, huge play village for, for families uh, to come in. Um, we want to help wildlife and nature. We want to be water smart. We want to improve the safety for all, especially for women and young girls. We wanted to have more places to sit, to relax, to eat, and also active travel, uh, a new walkway and cycleway uh, suitable for people of all abilities. And finally, to create pop-up spaces for retail, arts, culture and entertainment. So a real beating heart of Plymouth City Centre. It is ambitious and it's ambitious in cost as well. Um, we know that it's going to cost about 37 million. We know at scrutiny meeting yesterday there was some concern over that and the possibilities that the costs might change. Why does it have to be so much, Tudor? Well, what we could do half a job and we could trim it and make it less than it could be. But as I say, you only get to do this very infrequently. And to be honest with you, I mean, a lot of these public realm projects, and we've, we've quoted, um, I think it was Aberdeen and places like that, um, Nottingham. When you do it, you've got to do it right. And yes, costs have gone up because of inflation. You know, there was the, um, obviously, what happened with the, the inflation following Liz Truss's disastrous budget a year ago. There's all the implications of uh, various other costs going up. But look, we want to do the best we can. We want to present the best face we can of Plymouth to the world. Um, Plymouth people deserve their city centre to be looking nice again. Uh, we want to do it for them. We want to do it for visitors. We want to do it for investors. So it's really important we don't skimp and scrimp and cut and trim is really important we do a proper job and that's what we're going to do we're going to have something you've got to remember that Plymouth's reputation suffered with what happened uh, a year ago uh, when those trees came down in the middle of the night and the reputational damage that did to the city that's been being very costly nobody's talking about that so clearing up the mess we inherited is not going to be cheap but I can't 
and I won't make apologies for doing the best job we possibly can. That's Tudor. Yeah, Tudor. So he's talking about why well, there's going to be no compromise there when it comes to improving the look of Plymouth City Centre. Changes have been made to the Armada Way design after the public had their say, and it will include more of the original trees, bike storage, a drinking station and defibrillator. According to councillor evidence, this is the only the third time in 80 years that Armada Way has had a facelift. The council's director of place, Anthony Payne, said that £6.7 million has been included in the costings to account for any risk. And while he couldn't guarantee costs wouldn't rise, he suspected that they would be lower if additional outside funding can be found. Now, Plymouth's been very successful in attracting grant funding, so it may be again on this project. We have to remember that the government's already put £40 million into this from the Transforming Cities Fund. The um, the illustrations of how it could look look pretty impressive, don't they? They do, they do. Yeah, and it's, um, it really it's 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 a focal point for Plymouth. It's quite exciting this one. It is. I mean, it's you come into town from the train station there, and uh, you know that's what you see. So uh, it it needs something and something good. I think. Looking forward to that. Now, our colleague Honey Forty has been enjoying a spectacular show in an unusual location. Exeter Cathedral was the first venue to host the Crown and Coronation Sound and Light Show after its launch. And she's been talking to artist Peter Walker about what the piece means to him and what impact he hopes it's going to have. Did anything prompt this particular art piece? Yeah, so we had a call a few years ago at the Blue uh, and it was actually before the passing of Queen Elizabeth um, from historic royal palaces and they'd seen our work and they wanted us to find a way of reinterpreting this thousand years of monarchy and thousand years of coronation um, and to bring it to life in the way we do it. Had a coronation... None of us had, well, most of us had never experienced before. Um, so we saw that last year, and then we developed the artwork and presented it at the Tower of London in November. Uh, and this is the first place we presented it in Exeter on a tour around the UK. How do you think it will affect the relationship between the Church of England and the monarchs? Yeah, so that, it's, it's a nice question, but as artists, you see, my position is as an artist. Yes. So as an artist, we try to be non-prescriptive. We're asking them to come into a beautiful space that is an open public space, it belongs to the people into a monarchy within a, a democracy and telling that fantastic story of a thousand years of history. So there was nothing in particular that you were trying to invoke with this piece of artwork, just leaving it up to the audience? Well, you can, you can see through the music and the visuals that we try and create certain emotions. There's highs and lows, there's dark and, there's dark and light. But actually every individual has almost like an existential way of experiencing the world around them. So with art, I always find that rather than try and take people towards a singular emotion, we set, almost create the frame and set the tone for people to find or discover what they want within art. Do you think there's any particular audience for this mode of art or do you think it's for any age? One of the things Lux Morales do is we take artwork into spaces. Hopefully that will attract people in. We create low-ticket cost, you know, for people to come in. Um, which means that it allows people to come in, experience different places, experience art, perhaps as they've never seen it before, um, and for that experience to be something which um, is meaningful. Some people find it overwhelming, some people get quite emotional, some people sit on the floor and watch it, lie on the floor and they watch the artwork wash over them in the nave. So you can know nothing about the subject or you can be a professor into it and you can take whatever you want. Is there any particular response that you have to your own artwork? So, yes, yeah, so again, as an artist, one of the things that I always say is that the work belongs to me in the studio, and when it comes out of the studio, it belongs to the public. And my favourite response is actually a, a, when you see young children and they hear the music and they get in the light and they dance. And, and that really 
makes it worthwhile because we don't often in life these days get that opportunity to be free. And I think sometimes through the next generation you see that freedom. And that's one of the things that we like to, to actually watch ourselves. That was Peter Walker, the artist behind the Crown and Coronation art installation, talking to Honey Forty. It's no longer on at Exeter Cathedral, but it's moved to Ely Cathedral as its next venue. It'll be there from February the 6th to the 10th before moving on to Carlisle and then Winchester. I love the music in the background there, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I've actually seen that. Have it's, you? Yeah, it's very dramatic. It's so impressive. I, I just watched it. It was like about 15 minutes long. And, yeah. and I just I watched it about three times just to pick something else out each time. And it was, yeah, it was absolutely incredible. The atmosphere was amazing. Yeah. They do some good stuff in the cathedral, don't they? Because they yeah. had that moon exhibition and yeah. all that sort of thing there. It's... The only bit was standing outside in the cold for about 20 minutes. <laughs> it was one of the coldest days of the year. And I thought, I don't have enough clothes with me. <laughs> Worth it in the long run, though. It was, yeah. Excellent. Um, thanks to Will Goddard for the next story. Over in East Devon, uh, a petition to save an unused wing of Seton Community Hospital, signed by more than 9,000 people, has reached Parliament. We broke this story um, here with the Local Democracy Reporting Service a little while ago. We talked about it on Devoncast uh, late last year. NHS Devon is looking to hand the wing back to uh, to its owner, NHS Property Services, to save some money. But local people fear that the the wing, which was built with funds raised by the community itself, could uh, be sold or demolished. It's been coming up in the Commons, and this is uh, the area's MP Richard Ford presenting the petition in the Commons earlier this month. Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker. And I rise to present a petition on behalf of the residents of the Axe Valley, of the towns of Seaton, of Beer, of Colliford and the surrounding area who are objecting in the strongest possible terms to the disposal of an entire wing of Seaton Community Hospital. This petition has been signed by over 9,000 of my constituents because they object to the fact that uh, this hospital that was funded by generous local donations is being ripped away from them and in part potentially sold off by NHS property services uh, and disposed of for potential sale for housing. The petitioners therefore request that the House of Commons urge the government to take into account the concerns of the petitioners and take action to return the facility to the local community so that it could be repurposed to provide better care for those living in the area. Richard Ford MP uh, speaking in the House of Commons. NHS Devon is currently in special measures because of its financial deficit uh, and is forecasting another budget deficit of more than £40 million this year. Uh, a spokesperson for NHS Devon said they have to pay around £280,000 a year for the empty ward and they're in discussions with local politicians, the NHS and community partners to explore options for its future. Ali, we can't put this off any longer. We're going to be uh, talking about the future uh, for Newton Abbott a little bit later on. We're going to be talking about hospice funding, but we can't put parking metres off any longer. No, well... Parking metres are the sort of topic that get many a town hot under the collar, aren't they? But um, not least Tavistock, once labelled as the angriest place in Britain when it fought, <laughs> it fought and succeeded in stopping a Premier in coming to town. Um, now that they've got to be in their bonnet about these parking metres, um, Tavistock's one of eight towns in Devon where they're being proposed. Devon County Council, which is behind the plan, believes they, um, the p- metres would ensure healthy high streets and communities due to a good turnover of shoppers and reduced congestion. But Tavistock doesn't have a problem, according to West Devon councillor Jeff Moody. 
They're trying to suggest that what, what's happening is that it's going to improve traffic flow. But we dispute that because we did a survey and we found that all the parking spaces in the high street in Tavistock turn over the churn of parking is times 12. Now, I would say that there is an incredibly healthy churn rate. If people can park for two hours, the churn rate will drop and there's a knock-on effect to their businesses. At the December full council meeting at West Devon, we passed a motion that said that we would contact Devon County to have uh, an urgent meeting to discuss all these things. Um, that invitation has been refused by Devon County with no reason. It's going to it's going to the executive in I think it's the end of March. But it, that executive report will have no information in it uh, about any evidence, any knock-on effect, impact, um, and and I'm just appalled that we've not been involved uh, in any discussion. The people of the town are not happy. West Devon Town Council, the Chamber of Commerce, bid. Everyone in Tavistock is completely appalled by the so-called consultation. It's almost like a Banana Republic consultation to me. Um, nobody's, and, and also, to have a public consultation for over Christmas and New Year is appalling. It's when people are, are, are travelling away, they've got family, they've got, most people don't even know what, which day it is. And, and when, so I think it was quite cynical, that, that consultation. But I do also believe that back in 11 years ago um, that the, um, the county archaeologist objected to them based on heritage grounds. So what's changed in the, in, in the time? Because we're a World Heritage Site, it's important that we keep it. Would we lose our World Heritage Site if the meters are installed? Where are they going to be? We've got no information about what their design will be. Where they're going to be placed? Um, you know, we've got historical cobbles in the on the footpaths. We've got historical buildings. I'm really concerned that we might lose our world heritage status. So, you think this is a money making venture? Absolutely. But Devon County is proposing the first hour free. So, yeah. how are they going to make any money out of that? Well, this is the question we've been asking. <laughs> we we don't know what their their economic assessment is. Um, what we do know is at the moment we have an hour free anyway. Um, but if you just take that one hour, you still have to buy a ticket. Uh, nobody knows, is it going to be contactless? Is it, I believe that it won't involve money, uh, actual coinage. Um, what about elderly people, disabled people? How are they going to... They'll have to go and buy a free ticket for, a, for an hour, come back to the... The, their car, put the ticket in the car, then go and do their shopping with a disability, a physical disability, that's going to be awkward. But it's, I don't see that Devon County will make any money out of it. The only thing is that once the meters are in, they can turn up the volume whenever they want. They can change. If it's one hour free now, is it going to be the same next year or the year after? And £1.30 or the second hour, um, that could be £2 next year or £3 next year. Councillor Moody, he was um, he was quite into his subject then. He knows his stuff, doesn't he? Oh, 
he certainly does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we had a lot longer interview, but I, it wouldn't fit on this podcast. So I had to trim <laughs> it down a bit. Um, but Jeff's um, joining other town and borough councillors, businesses and residents at County Hall on March the 13th to protest against the plan before a decision's made by Devon County Council's cabinet. Um, meters are also planned for West Devon's other main shopping centre of Oakhampton, where again they've met with opposition and 5,000 people in total from both towns have signed a petition against them. Um, here's manager of Tavistock's Business Improvement District, Jana Sanders. She tells us why she thinks they would have a negative impact on the high street. The current situation on the high street is really difficult. And if we had people having to pay for parking, I just think it would put them off coming into town. We've already done a survey of people. 88% of people have already told us that that will change the way that they use the town centre. Even if there is a free period, it's not going to be easy, certainly for some of the demographic that that the town centre serves. So it would just be easier for them to go to out-of-town retail areas like the supermarkets, and that will put them off coming into town um footfall is critical it's critical for the town centre and we really need to make it as easy as possible for people to to carry on supporting it well that's Jana there saying why she thinks shoppers will be put off by the proposed parking meters devon county council says enforcement will be easier if the plans are adopted and that money from the income across devon is used to support bus services dartmouth honiton sidmouth crediton and braunton are the other towns all in line for these new parking arrangements so we'll have to wait and see what happens on march the 13th interesting isn't it parking parking is always as you say it's one of those things that gets people really hot under the collar but when you look at these budget we're spending a lot of time at the budget moment looking at budget proposals Mm. from councils and you Mm. look at the amount that parking brings brings in Mm. um, which isn't coming from anywhere else the government isn't helping anymore Mm. nobody wants a massive increase in council tax Mm. things like parking have to bring some money in. Yeah, it's a really tricky one, isn't it? You're devil's advocate on something like that, really, mm. though, aren't you? That's not going to be very popular. People will have been switching off this podcast in their droves now. <laughs> uh, I've been in Newton Abbott, uh, where some big decisions are coming up in the coming year. More than £9 million of government money, levelling up money. Every, uh, every authority is talking about levelling up money, and it's being spent on regeneration projects in Newton. Plans to build a new multiplex cinema have been scrapped. They were described as a dead duck at a council meeting. It's almost as if they know we need these things for headlines and intros, <laughs> don't they? Dead in the water, dead duck. Thank you very much. I'll write those two down. Um, only two parts of the town's master plan remain now. A revamp of the old market hall and a really controversial proposal to change the traffic flows through the Queen Street area. So I wanted to know what to make of it all. I wanted to know what the the local business take of it was. So I went for a coffee with uh, Sally Henley, who's the Newton Abbott Town Centre manager. This was just before Christmas. This is why she mentions Christmas shopping. But um, it's still a very worthwhile thing to hear. So um, this is uh, this is Sally Henley. Well, what kind of health is Newton Abbott in at the moment? We're in great health at the moment. We are a really thriving town centre, as you can see at the moment. It's busy with Christmas shoppers. We anticipate being busy into the new year. Newton Abbott is on the brink of some major changes, though, isn't it? How do you think it's going to look as the year progresses? Well, in fact, we've just had the notification through for Devon County Council um, for the works to start on Queen Street. As you probably know, the Future High Streets Fund money, a very small part of that is going towards some changes in Queen Street. I'm not going to use the word improvement because I think the local people probably don't agree with that. Uh, And that's going to start in March. 
and potentially go on, as the notification said, through to the end of October. So it is a worrying time uh, for the business community who, as most people are aware, are not supportive in general of these changes. Exactly what will the changes mean? Can you talk us through structurally what the changes will mean in Newton Abbott? So the idea is to make sure that traffic doesn't come into the centre of Newton Abbott. So it is going to be directed around the periphery. So that's, of course, of concern to Queen Street, because at the moment the traffic can come directly down Queen Street and there is plentiful on-street parking. And that's one of the real benefits for Queen Street at the moment, that Courtney Street, which is fully pedestrianised, doesn't have. So for those who are less able, that kind of convenient parking is a real benefit. Now you talk to the traders all the time, you're out talking to traders on a daily basis. What are you hearing them thinking for the future? Will some of the traders really find it difficult to um, to continue under those circumstances? Well, there is no doubt that the traders are really worried and it is disappointing that I have been feeding this back to both Teambridge District Council and Devon County Council for the last three years that this has been discussed. There are some people who support it, but the majority of people are extremely worried that it will be throwing the baby out with the bathwater. There is a pot of money which is supposed to be coming from the government for schemes like this, and they all seem to be targeted on big ticket items. But what does the town really need? I think this is a general problem with funding at the moment. The government keeps issuing large pots of money and that come with very strict criteria as to what you can do with it. And I think if you talk to most place managers, they will say that what we need to do is to look after the basics in our town centres so that we can restore some civic pride. We don't necessarily need to build new things. So examples of that uh, would be the cleaning of town centres, the security in the town centres, how attractive our town centres are, how well maintained the street furniture is, how well lit they are. These are all things that are really important that make up the whole of how one feels walking through any town centres. And there really is no funding for these basic things. So I would start with that. Is there a danger that you end up, as another, a councillor said in a meeting that I was at the other day, that you end up building lots of, of imposing new buildings? But everything else just gets ignored. Well, I don't think the Future High Streets Fund money is going to be doing any of, of that here. So there will be no building of, of new buildings. But generally speaking, the funding that government issues does exactly that. So I would always liken it to a holiday park. If you're a person that goes on holiday regularly, caravanning and that type of thing, you would always go to a centre where it's clean, where it's tidy, where the showers work really well, where the lavatories are clean. You would look for things like that. What you wouldn't do is go to a holiday park that has had an enormous, lovely new pub, shining new pub built, but where the showers are filthy and the verges are overgrown. So this is exactly what we need to do in town centres. We need to look after the things that we have. And Newton Abbott Town Centre is a fantastic little town centre, but we just need a little bit more money to just spruce it up a bit. So if we come back and have this same conversation in a year's time as we head into 2025, are you hopeful that Newton Abbott can keep this, this great spirit that it's got? 
I think we will. I mean, we've got one of the lowest vacancy rates that we've ever had. It's when I last counted, it's in the region of 4%. So in the last month, we've had five new businesses open in the town centre. So there is real demand to trade in Newton Abbott because we've got such fantastic facilities. One of the things that is a real benefit, and we are hoping that we'll be able to keep it, is all of the car parks. So the town centre is surrounded by really convenient car parks, that are reasonably priced. So we've got the capacity to attract more visitors. And we're seeing people coming from all over the region. Lots of people coming from the Bay, lots of people coming from the Moors and people coming from Exeter and Plymouth because we have something that other towns don't have. That was Sally Henley, the town centre manager for Newton Abbott, chatting to me over a coffee before Christmas. Time's flown, to be honest. Time has flown since then. I know, it's it's incredible, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, hopefully it'll be spring soon. I don't like January and February. No, they're long, aren't they? Mm. Long months. We have a little bit more Devon healthcare news. MP Simon Jupp is calling on NHS Devon to give more funding uh, to hospice care providers. Uh, As an integrated care board, NHS Devon is responsible for uh, determining the funding for end-of-life and palliative care in the local area. This uh, This is Simon Jupp speaking on the issue in Parliament. Hospices across our country and county are facing a perfect storm. Income from fundraising is falling, while costs and demand for their services are rising. Hospice Care in Devon has told me they are facing a £2.5 million deficit in the next financial year. Meanwhile, Sidmouth Hospice at Home has told me their average caseload has risen by over 50% in the last year alone. Amid this perfect storm, I've been calling on the NHS Devon ICB to increase their funding for all of our hospices. And my message is crystal clear. There needs to be a fairer deal. Hospice care is funded for 18% of their costs from NHS Devon ICB, compared to the national average of 37% from ICBs across England. Sidmouth Hospice Care at Home receives no funding from the NHS in Devon at all. And that puts them in a small minority in the country, receiving no money from a local NHS body. That simply cannot be right. As we said earlier on, NHS Devon is currently in special measures and is forecasting another budget shortfall of more than £40 million this year. Thank you very much to Will Goddard for this story, by the way. Uh, And a spokesperson said that NHS Devon provides financial support through grant funding to the four adult hospices in Devon that operate inpatient beds and it faces severe financial challenges, is having to take difficult decisions on spending, but is keen to keep working closely with hospice care on funding issues. It's one of those stories that um, becomes important for every family, doesn't it? Um, There are very few families that we'll be speaking to that haven't had some kind of dealings with one of our local hospices. So really important story, that budget. Definitely is. Ali, we've reached the end of our agenda if, we were, if this was a council meeting, we'd be looking at the agenda, we'd be getting to any other business and we'd be thinking we're about to be released into the fresh air. <laughs> we would, for sure. I think now is the time to say exactly. goodbye. Yeah, I thought you were going to sing then for a minute. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't inflict that on you. Thank you very much for listening to the Devoncast. Uh, I've been Guy. I've been Alison. And we've had some input from Will as well. Uh, Brad will be back with us on the next one. Remember that you can uh, subscribe to this podcast wherever you normally get your podcast. You can find it on the Radio X website. And we'll be delighted to see you again next time around. 
Catch the latest episode of Devoncast every Friday at radiox.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts.